the man that's preaching today is incredible. He is preaching on a topic that he has so much authority on, probably the most authority of any topic that he could have. Um, but Dave Little is going to join us up here and give us a word. So if you could help me welcome him. It's uh, strange hearing her say, man. <laughs> She's like, the man who's speaking, I'm like, is he? We're, uh, I, I have been trying, Phil. But, well, thank you so much. This morning, I've got a story for you. I'm going to dive right into it. So, who's in the mood for a story? Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. This story is really good, but I'm going to need a little more than that if you guys want to hear it. Who's in the mood for a story? All right. all right. Maybe it wasn't quite that good of a story, but that, that's all right. So... I've got a story of a few people I'd like to introduce you to. The first is John. John was a young father. He aspired to be a good dad, as do most young fathers. John was determined to work his way to the top. He wanted to move his way through positions at his job and climb his way up the corporate ladder. He wanted to provide for his family. He wanted to make it big. He spoke about that all the time, making it big. He constantly spoke to his kids about the day that they would hit it big, and he told them uh, that he actually had the winning lotto numbers several times if only he had played them. Their family would be set. But for whatever reason, he never played them. He was very convinced that he could get rich quick, and that was the answer to all of their problems as a family. John had a good job. It wasn't the best job, but it, it paid well enough to meet the needs for his family at that time. However, he was so convinced that these get-rich-quick schemes would meet his needs that he constantly walked out and gave up on jobs. He had a position at a popular electronics store, and if you guys don't know what that is because of the internet, it's a building. There's stuff in it. You go into it, and there's people who help you pick things, and you give them money, and they give you stuff, and you don't have to pay for shipping fantastic. So he had a job at this electronics store, and you know, with work, it could have elevated to upper management and eventually got him to a point where they would have a very comfortable living. Essentially, they could get to a point where they'd have hit it big status, if you will. However, because he ran into some minor hiccups at work, he decided he wanted out. And without finding another solution to provide for his family, without finding another job, he walked out. He justified this decision by saying, God will provide. Now, church, hear me out. God will provide according to his riches. But it requires a little work on your part. Months go by, and John does find a job. He lands employment elsewhere, and it, it did pay better than his previous job, so I guess that was a good thing. However, it involved a lot more time away from his family, and that took his toll on John. A few years into the job, he decides that the manager he's working under, he doesn't really like, and it's too much for him to handle. He has some disagreements, and he decides that this guy just doesn't like him, and he needs to find a new place of employment. Convenient timing. John just sold his first home, and with the money they made from that, it would be enough to get him by to transition into a new job. So again, without plans for future employment, John walks out. For a second time, he steps out of financial security 
and work and diligence and something that we are called to do for our families. And he moved on just because he wanted to. So where can John be found now? Where is he today? Well, he lives in government-funded housing. He's divorced. He doesn't see his kids as often as he'd like. And he's hoping that someday, someday, he'll hit it big. Now, if you're hoping John's story turns around, at least to this point, that's not the kind of story this is. He's nearing retirement age, and he's living paycheck to paycheck, making pennies above minimum wage. It's not a very good story. You guys are really quiet. Next, I'd like to introduce you to Aaron. This one might make you feel a little better. You can breathe and the tension can go away. Aaron, his life went a different direction than John's. Aaron, from a young age, didn't have the same interests as most kids. Instead of playing with toys and in his teenage years, playing video games and sports, that's my <laughs> kicking sports, okay? He decided that he would dedicate his time to supporting charity. He gave much of his free time and income to support charity, specific charity that he believed in. And from a young age, he was always trying to help his parents. He tried to help in any ways he could. Even if he didn't know how to do it, he would teach himself. He'd always ask questions. He never let him not knowing how to do a specific task or thinking that he's not strong enough or big enough or old enough, he would never let that get in his way. He'd try to teach himself. He'd ask questions. He never took no for an answer when it came to helping people. As he grew older, he continued to work hard, and he ended up getting a job at the charity that he was supporting. This was great for him. He could devote more time to something he so strongly believed in. It wasn't the best-paying job, but rather than quitting to find a job that paid better or stepping out of his job and trying to get rich quick or hit it big, he took another job on the side to supplement his income. He didn't quit that and move on for something better. He said, I'm going to work here diligently. I'm going to step over here, and in any free time I have, I'm going to work more. He's trying to move up that corporate ladder in a sense. He's trying to provide for himself and his family. He's trying to do what he can do. He's doing it with integrity. As he was working at this charity, someone who also supported the charity saw his work ethic and how hard he worked and the willingness that he had to give himself of others. So he was offered another job, one that could, re could replace his current second job, his second income, and he was able to still work at the charity, and this other company was able to work around his hours because they knew that it was a priority to serve that charity. So he gets this new job, and he's being paid better, and his hours are better for this specific charity that he was working at. And it seems like everything's kind of going uphill for Aaron at this point. So how did this come about? It's because he was diligent with what he had. He continued to work hard for years, and God continued to provide for him. Year after year, raise after raise never came, but he kept working hard. He ran into issues with management at, at the job he was working at in this charity Yes, charities have issues too because they're ran by people and it's a great organization that he was working for, but, but he ran into issues and he worked through them because he believed in the big picture. 
Because of how diligent he was, over the course of the years, he had several job offers, and he turned them down. He would have people ask him, man, you seem really good at this. I could use you. I'd hire you, and he'd turn it down. You know, I have a job I love. I thank you for the, the opportunity. As he would lead outside contractors and lead them through projects, these opportunities just kept coming. And he never really seemed to consider them. He said, no, this is where I'm called to be. I'm called to serve these people. A few months went by, and while working on another project for yet another contractor, a higher up in the company came in to check on the status of the project and was impressed. He was very impressed. Questioning Aaron on if he'd ever worked in that trade before, if he had any experience, and the representative from the company wanted Aaron. He told him, I could use a guy with skills like you. I could use a guy who's as detail-oriented as you. Aaron declined again. Then this man told Aaron about the compensation and benefit package. Aaron, working on a ladder at the time, overhead about falls off the ladder. But again, he declined. At this time, he was beginning to question, is this an act of God? Is God opening a door to move into a new phase in his life? Through prayer, he decided, I'm going to take this job. And within years of working at this new business, he was thriving. He picked up quickly, not just on tasks, but processes. He was eager to learn and better the company and himself. And as he moved into this new position, he was able to provide for his family in a way he couldn't before. He was able to buy a beautiful home and really has nowhere to go but up. Aaron is still young. He's advanced in his skills and is blessed beyond measure. He's happily married and lives in a lovely home in a great community, and he's surrounded by people who love him and encourage him. Lastly, I'd like you to meet Greg. Greg is one of the hardest working people I know. Greg, when in his 20s, worked three jobs for seven years straight. He had to walk to two of the jobs barefoot, uphill both ways on broken glass through about six inches of snow with a broken leg. All right, I'm just kidding on that one. But on the first two stories, you can see a theme, a theme that Proverbs talks about as we are, we're in our verses series, diligence versus laziness, and the blessed life versus a life that's not as blessed. Proverbs 12, 24 says, the hand of the diligent will rule. But the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Not saying that in this story that Aaron was a ruler, but I can tell you John is being forced to labor because of the choices he made and the lack of diligence he showed during parts of his life. What else does Proverbs say about this? In Proverbs 10, verses 4 through 5, he who has a slack hand becomes poor. Hmm. That seems to coincide with John. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. So we're seeing a theme here. Someone who doesn't work hard basically is never going to have wealth, at least prolonged. And the blessing of the Lord isn't in its full potential. Now hear me out. If you're lazy and diligence is something you struggle with, God can still bless you. But you're going to be robbed of the blessing that God has for you in its full potential. The verse goes on to say, verse 5, 
He who gathers in the summer is a wise son. Now this part, this will cut deep. I'm talking going in there and just turn a little bit. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Just take that in for a second. Let's think about it. In order to be wise, one of the prerequisites is that you work through the summer or essentially that you're a hard worker. But he who sleeps, he who doesn't work, he who puts it off and sits on the couch all day playing video games or watching TV, he is a son who causes shame. Shame. I don't want to be the son who causes shame to my family. Similar to what I spoke on a few weeks ago about having your sin having bigger effects than what you may realize, this one takes it home. If you're being a slacker, the word of God says you're one who causes shame. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in John's position there. I'd like to be more like Aaron. I'd like to be more like the diligent, not one who brings shame. The Proverbs are full of different versions of these scriptures. They seem to all point to the same thing. And as we've seen during the Versus series, each of these topics have a good way. They have the God way. The way that brings honor and dignity and favor. Then we have the bad way. We have the way that man chooses, the way that I think is best. I know what's right, so I'm going to do this. It brings shame and death. I want the best for everybody here, and I imagine you guys all want the same too. So let's strive to be the son who brings honor to his home, not shame. Let's work hard and not be lazy. I had an interesting time trying to track down the meaning of diligence as it's used in Proverbs. Sometimes when I'm studying, I'll look into the the original writings and what they might mean. And seeing how I've never majored in Hebrew or Chaldee, at times when researching certain words, it can be difficult to decipher what the writers were trying to say. Now, I'm blessed enough, so blessed, that I have a fantastic and wonderful and loving mother who likes studying the Word of God. It's a lifestyle of, her, of hers. She loves the Word of God, and she has a great relationship, and she is a great example for me and for my siblings. And I'm blessed enough that she uses the same reference material that I use when studying. Rather, I use the same reference material she uses. So, when I have issues, hey mom, we've got a Bible question, and she gets really excited about it because nothing brings more joy to her heart than to see that her children are following in her footsteps, and are serving the Lord. Nonetheless, when looking into the meaning of diligence, I found this. There were several meanings, and some of them were really confusing, which is why I had to call my mom and say, what's going on? And we found one that was a figurative definition, what the writers could have been saying in the sense of a metaphor, and I thought it was brilliant. I thought it fit this really well. So we're going to swap out the word diligence in this verse with determination, or to be determined, and being eager. So Proverbs 10, 4 to 5, and I'm just going to swap out this word. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the determined or eager 
makes rich. So if you think about it like that, what people are typically successful? It's the people who are determined. It's the people who are eager to succeed. Something I find intriguing, something I've started to notice while preparing for sermons, this is kind of a new thing to me and to some of the other people on our team. And just so you know, if you're wondering, I'm not the pastor of this church. Here, we have got a great group of people who have been called to share God's word. We have what we call a teaching team, and it's a group of several people who are passionate about sharing God's word, and I have the honor to be on that team. Back to what I was saying. So I find this intriguing. When I'm preparing for my sermons, when preparing to bring a word that I'm praying that is of God and from God and that is divinely spoken from God through me to you, it seems like whatever topic it is, the enemy, Satan, tries to attack you that week or those weeks as you prepare. And this week as I've been preparing to preach about diligence versus laziness, the enemy has been trying to attack me in that way. And that's not common for me because diligence and laziness haven't really ever been something I've struggled with. From a young age, I've known what it means to work hard and I've known what it, what it takes to get where you want to be. And it's diligence and it's integrity and it's hard work. So laziness hasn't really been a struggle for me. Now, that doesn't mean on occasion I want to call in sick and just lay home and not go to work. But it does mean when I do feel like that, I still go to work, unless I'm actually sick. But even on occasion, I still go to work. It might not be pretty, but I'm there. However, this week, while preparing, or trying to, I've been hit with so many distractions, and I found it very hard to prepare for the sermon. I prayed a little bit, and I had a story that I wanted to talk about, the stories I shared with you at the beginning. And I had a general idea, but really seeking God to find what he wanted me to say was a struggle for me this week. Is it okay that I'm being real with you? Is it okay that I'm showing you my vulnerabilities here in church this morning? This week, as I was preparing, trying to bring a word from God on diligence and laziness, I had to fight to stay focused. I had to pray for focus. I had to pray to stay on task. It seemed like every time I opened my Bible or my notebook to write this sermon, something would come up. Friends would call and my dog would start barking. It's like, come on. I'm just trying to do, it's, it's quiet. It's quiet at our house until the second I crack open my Bible. And then the dog starts barking and people are going nuts and I just don't know what's happening. So the next thing you know, I'm like, okay, Ava, go outside. I let her out and she's outside and then she's at the door scratching. Next thing you know, I'm throwing frisbees with her. We're going on walks, and my Bible is sitting on the desk, and I am not behind it. So this week was really tough. But I was able to come up with at least a little bit about this topic. And even though it might not seem overly spiritual as of now, I pray that some of these words would sink in. In fact, would you take a moment to pray with me? Father, thank you for everything that you do for us. Thank you that you are the ultimate example of diligence. Thank you that you never give up on us and that even through the most difficult time of giving your son, you were diligent, you were faithful, you were determined to save our souls from the eternal separation and damnation from you. Father God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that the words I have spoken would sink in, that your divine words from your word, from the Bible, would sink into our souls and become infused with our beings with our bodies, with our souls. Lord, speak through me today. Let the words that I speak not be of me, but of you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. All right, I think I may be ready to preach now. I had to use the typical preacher joke. Halfway through the sermon, you pray and you make a point and then you joke with the congregation that you're about ready to start. I'm just kidding, though. I'm not just getting started. On that note, I am going to change gears a little bit. When our teaching team was discussing the topics that we were going to speak about, there were a few that stuck out. One I recently spoke on in our Joshua series, and then this one, diligence versus laziness. I was very excited to talk about this because I am passionate about people becoming hard workers and setting good examples for what a hard worker, what a follower of Christ should look like. I believe that working hard at everything we do is biblical. And Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Colossians 3, later on in verse 23, goes on to say, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. I believe full-heartedly that this is biblical. I believe that it's of great importance, and I believe that it's especially important for young believers. Now, young people in here, hear me out. And if you're asking what young is, well, I'll leave it up to you. I'm 24, and many people think I'm 15, and I'm okay with that. And I've got so many stories, time after time, where I'm doing something a 15-year-old shouldn't be, given I'm 24. And I have to explain that that's not my age. On that note, at 15, I was doing stuff that most 15-year-olds wouldn't be doing either. So I guess, well, never mind. I digress. So young people, let's say under 50, 60, say, I don't care. Whatever you think young is, I'm fine with that. First Timothy 4.12 talks about this. Specifically, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. Let no one despise you because you are young, but be an example. It doesn't just say, don't let them look down on you because you're young. It takes it a step further. It says, not only should people not look down on you because of your age, but you should be an example. You should be leading as a young follower of Christ. Now, being young is relative. Being 15 and being able to read wouldn't qualify me as a young reader, but being 15 and running a Fortune 500 company, that would be young. I'm not doing that, and that would be fantastic, but I'm not there, at least not yet. So regardless to how old you are, be an example to the believers and be an example to non-believers. Be a light to them through your work, through your work ethic, through your diligence at work. So back to what I said a moment ago, I am going to change gears. I was all excited about preaching on working hard because it's something I am passionate about and it's something that, that I feel like God has gifted me in. But when I was speaking about diligence and integrity, I had all this information I wanted to talk about that I've covered so far, and then I got to a point where I was like, okay, Lord, what else do you want me to say? And my wife comes in the room and she starts telling me about someone else who's going to be preaching on a similar topic. Earlier this week, I was talking to Taylor, and she mentioned that Melissa Sommer was preaching about the same topic in kids. 
And now for the second time, Melissa and I are preaching, her and kids, me and here, we're preaching about the same thing on the same week. So we're preaching on diligence. So Melissa's preaching on in a little different light than what I spoke about so far. And uh, some of what I was going to cover, well, I've covered most of it, but I felt the Lord say, there's a little bit different direction you're going to go for the next part of your message. So my wife describes to me what Melissa was going to speak on, and it sounded like Melissa wasn't really speaking on the same thing I was speaking on, at least at first glance. She was focusing more on spiritual diligence and laziness, and I took about that, I, I took what my wife said, and I thought about it for a second. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? I tried to wrap my mind around it. So here I was thinking diligence had only to do with working hard. And yes, that's an important part of being diligent. And everything that I've said so far is important, and I think it applies to us. But it also had more eternal undertones. I'm thinking there's a correlation between the natural physical world and the spiritual world when it comes to applying this theology. So I'm going to try to cover a little bit more of that. Just as I spoke about with John, he didn't have diligence in his work life, and it, con it consistently costed him. In the end, it costed him dearly. But when we look at that story I told you, the story is incomplete. I left out some details. John didn't only put work on the back burner. He tried to take that get-rich-quick scheme, tried to take that route in his life. He tried to take that route in his spiritual life. He decided that his spiritual life was absolutely fine if he did what, unfortunately, many people do, what many Christians do. It's something like this. If I go to church on Sundays, throw a couple bucks in the offering occasionally, you know, and I, I pray before meals, I'm a good person. I must be good. Church, this attitude can have devastating results on your life and on your soul. I said a few weeks ago you must be in church on a normal basis and you must make it a part of your life. You must infuse it into your DNA. And parents, this is so important that you come to church because your kids will come to church. They'll see you here and they will grow up in a lifestyle that is God-honoring. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Parents, it is imperative that you make getting into God's house a priority. Soccer cannot be more important. Sports cannot be more important. Sleeping in on Sundays cannot be more important. You need to be here with your family on a weekly basis because this is the most important thing you can do for your family. Make sure you're setting this example in every area of your life because your children are watching. They're going to follow in your footsteps. And if you raise them upright with a focus on the Lord and the importance of a relationship with him, their lives will go in the direction that God intended, a life full of purpose, a life full of meaning, full of the potential to be life changers. John took the easy route through life and I don't necessarily know where he stands now with the Lord. Only John and the Lord, God himself, know John's heart. But at the time of the story I was telling you, John put other garbage before God. He focused on what he wanted for his physical body, not his spirit, not his soul, not who he really is. He focused on the get-rich-quick schemes that many Christians fall for. He'd come to church on occasion, feel a little emotional through the services. A preacher starts yelling at everybody. He focused on the get-rich-quick schemes that many Christians fall for. Perhaps even 
He'd take something that the preacher said and apply it for a couple of days. He'd start opening his Bible, maybe, maybe pray a time or two, and of course at meals. But church, that attitude just isn't good enough. God sent Jesus, his son, to die for you. How can you allow a just-get-by mentality or get-rich-quick spiritual lifestyle creep into your life? Maybe it didn't sink in. Jesus walked to Calvary beaten and bruised and bleeding and dying for you. He knew it was the only way that we could spend an eternal life with him and away from the pits of hell. The only way that we could be with God was with that sacrifice. No matter how good you are, no matter what you do or give or say or who you think you are, God's word says we all fall short of the glory of God. And you may think that you're a good person and that God loves you, and let me tell you, he does. But God's standards are so high that if you even look at a person with a lustful thought in your heart, God says that is adultery. If you look at someone with hate in your heart, God considers that murder. His standards are so high, church. They're so high. And because of this, we cannot allow this get-rich-quick, this lazy mindset to creep into our spirit. We cannot settle for mediocrity in our spiritual lives. We have to put God first. And I want to keep repeating this because it's so crucial. I am young, as we've discussed, 15, just kidding. But even now I look back at the 20-some years I've had with some regret. Yes, I've had a blessed life, and God's been so good to me. But I haven't given him I haven't given him the time of day he deserves. And for what? Because I'm selfish. Because I don't want to take a few moments in the morning to open his word, the word that many people, countless people have died to give to you. Because I don't want to take the time to listen to what he says. Jesus died for us. He wants a relationship with us. And get this, Jesus would have walked down that road to Calvary and given his life. He would have taken the beatings, the bruisings, the mocking, the pain, the hurt, the embarrassment, the agony. He did it all for you. But not just everyone in this room and the whole world as it was and the whole world as it will be. He would have done that if you, if you, if you were the only person. He would have given that because he wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want to be separated from you. And here's the thing, he would do it again because of the love he has for you. That attitude of spiritual laziness is an attitude that can lead you down the wide road to hell. God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. Don't forget that. If you take only one thing away today, I pray you take more than that, but if you only take one Know that God is a good God. And even though I may have yelled a lot, he loves you. Those words can be thrown around a lot in church. God is good. Jesus died for us. Stuff like that. And in this setting, it could just kind of sound like white noise. But I want you to know the importance 
us repeating it can never take away from their importance. Mm. Mm. Now I'm preaching. Okay, come on. Okay, let me tell you something. If you ever want to know how to preach, it's really simple. <laughs> okay, but let's just break it down. Read God's Word. All right? Pray that He'd reveal what He wants you to say. And listen. Listen to Him. Now, the people on our preaching team are laughing because they know that's easier said than done, but listen to Him through the silence because He can show up in a great way there. It's kind of uneasy, but God shows up in the silence, in the still, in the calm. Listen to him through worship music. I'm not going to sing as another example like I did with the silence. Uh, but in worship, you can hear God speak to you. As I'm writing sermons, I'll have music playing in the background. And as it builds up and dies down, that can affect how many times I type all in caps on my notes, which directly correlates to how emotional I can get or how much I can yell. So you probably can guess kind of the kind of music I'm listening to is it's like going up and it's like, oh my gosh, he's yelling. What did I do wrong? I'm sorry. And then it goes back down and it's like, oh. He just stopped talking. That was a sailor break in the song, and he must have just stopped writing. There's like three quarters of the page is blank, so I had to kind of time that out and just not talk. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But back to important stuff. What does a relationship with God look like? Well, let's look at some of the relationships in our lives that we know, and let's see how they compare. And on the note of relationships, this is like, a sidebar, nothing to do with diligence, I, I guess, but I just felt God speak this to me as I was writing. I strongly believe that a relationship should be as follows. God, the creator of the universe, whom without we wouldn't be here, first. Secondly, our spouse. The person whom you decided till death do us part. Third, our kids, the little guys that we have the opportunity to raise with godly influence. And fourth and finally, everybody else. And you can put anyone else after that in whatever order you so choose. And if you're single, it's, it's simply the same order minus the spouse and kids. And if you're single with kids, it's, it's the same order minus the spouse. So it'd be God and your kids because you have an obligation. You have the opportunity. You have a responsibility to raise them and then everyone else. And you can put family in there and you can put it in whatever order after that. But the, the key is God has to be number one. That's our common factor here. And this is imperative. And even though at times it seems hard and I struggle with understanding what it looks like, know that God must be your number one in order for you to have the relationship he intended for you. So let's talk about relationships we know about in our lives. For this example, I'll use my wife because that's a relationship I'm very familiar with, as should you be if you were married. What would my relationship with Taylor look like if I showed up to see her once a week for an hour and got kind of frustrated if the speaker spoke too long and so I had to stay there an hour, 10 minutes. And then I talked to her, give 15, maybe 25 seconds before meals. Probably wouldn't look very good. This example may seem silly. It may seem extreme. But honestly, if we're wanting to have a relationship with God and we want it to seem real, 
We need to put energy and effort into it. We need to be diligent. So I'm going to give you a little rundown of what Taylor and my relationship looks like. And you might laugh, and I might laugh, and Taylor and I laugh, so it's okay. And if it's too much information, I'm sorry. I, I'm not really sorry. <laughs> For that, maybe I'm sorry, but the first one, no. So in the mornings, we're both up. Sometimes, if we are, we say, I love you. She'll make fun of my stinky morning breath or bedhead, and I laugh and blow her a stinky morning breath kiss. We communicate. We talk about our day's plans. We talk about the problems we may, be, we may be facing. We listen, we hug, we kiss, and I go to work. And throughout the day, as I need input from her or she needs it from me, we'll call or text. If she has a question, she doesn't hesitate to ask. Occasionally, as I'm thinking of her, I'll slip her a quick I love you text, and she'll send me one of those emojis back with the little little smiley face with little red hearts as eyes. And I know that this is the most sincere form of her telling me she loves me. <laughs> Madly in love with me, because I think that's what that little emoji means. If you don't know what emoji is, they're really small because they're on your phone. If you don't know what a phone is, I'm sorry, I can't help you there. But uh, it's, it's, a little, it's a little smiley face, like the Walmart smiley face. I don't think they use them anymore, but they used to. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yes, nod, nod, feedback, input, good. Okay, good. So, and then it has little hearts as eyes instead of eyes. And I just know that means she is madly in love with me. So if I say I love you, she sends that, and I'm just like, I get butterflies. It's like the first time I saw her all over again. So then when I get home, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, so when I get home, I yell, honey, I'm home. And my puppy runs up to the door and gives me a kiss. And uh, it's without fail that my puppy is at the door waiting for me to get home. That in itself could be an entire message, but we'll, we'll get to that another day. So I run up the stairs past my dog after I give my dog a kiss and pet her, and I'm all excited, and she's all excited, and everyone's excited, and it's just great. So I'll run upstairs, and I'll give my wife a kiss and a hug and tell her how much I love her, and sometimes I'll scrunch up my face and ball up my fist like this and say, I just love you so much, and I'll start running towards her, and she'll yell, no, 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 be nice, and then I have to calm down and tell her that it's just, I just love her so much, I just can't contain it. And we'll talk again. And I'll express my frustrations from the day or the funny stories of the day, and she'll do the same. We'll eat dinner together, and we'll talk some more about various things. She'll tell me about the things we need to do in the house or the things we need to spend money on, and she'll tell me about the concern. <laughs> that was legitimate. I do the same thing. I spend more money than she does. Okay, so I uh, just threw that out there. Anyway, um, you guys laughing at me. I don't even know what... I was talking about something, dinner, we eat dinner, tells me about money, spending. Anyway, she'll ask if I can get tasks done in her office, and we'll finish dinner, and we'll put the dishes in the sink or in the dishwasher, or I'll throw them in the sink, and then she'll put them in the dishwasher. Um, and then uh, she'll, hey, 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 I'm, I'm getting there, okay? And then she'll also ask me why my socks are on the counter. <laughs> why my shoes are in the living room and why my shirt is on the floor in the hallway. Okay, so fast forward a little bit. We're going to bed, and all that stuff's been cleaned up. That shirt was going to be worn the next day. I was just getting ready. So she'll ask for back rub. I'll ask for a foot rub. She'll say only if my feet don't smell too bad. We'll talk about our thoughts about the day, kind of finish off the day. And that's my relationship in a nutshell. This is, a, this is, yeah, okay. So here's another relationship I have, one that you, most of you probably would be familiar with in a sense. This is a friend of mine, not my wife. This gentleman's name is Rick. 
and I get to work with Rick on occasion, but throughout the day we'll text each other our frustrations at work or funny memes that we see. A meme is a little picture with a little text on it. It's supposed to be funny. We'll send those to each other. We'll call each other uh, if we have questions on certain jobs, and without fail, the phone call that was, hey, do I cut the red wire or the blue wire? And then it goes from that to 20 minutes of us talking about who knows what. Typically not talking about the red or blue wire. But we'll talk for the sake of talking. When we think of something the other person may enjoy, we'll text it to them or send them a picture or call them and talk about it. We run into each other on occasion and we'll share stories about our days, stuff we've been doing or working on, about the tools that we bought or about the projects we were able to accomplish over the weekend. We'll talk about our stupid dogs chewing up our shoes and how they chase their tails for what seems like hours on end, which is hilarious. Until I had a dog, I didn't know dogs actually did that. I thought that was just something Scooby-Doo did. The common theme here with both these relationships, though, is communication. They take effort. They take diligence. You have to nurture the relationship. What would the relationship be without communication? What if I came home and I didn't say a word to my wife except, like I said, the sentence before meals? And what if I worked with Rick, we only communicated the necessary information about the jobs at hand and didn't share jokes or silly memes? These relationships would not be very good. Laziness in our relationships will not yield good results. Just like our relationships with each other, we have to put time and effort into our relationship with the Lord. We have to be diligent with our relationship with God. Our relationships with people on this earth have a pattern of communication. Our relationship with God has to be set on a similar foundation. The biggest difference between our relationship with God and our earthly relationships is this. God always listens. And God always wants to listen. He wants to hear your voice. Here's the key factor. If we want this relationship to be a success, we cannot be overtaken by laziness. We have to put work into it. We have to make an effort. We have to make it a priority in our lives. Spending time with God can look so many different ways for each of us. Sometimes it means that I'll spend a few minutes in prayer in the morning. Sometimes it means just talking to God exactly like you would a friend. God, I'm kind of frustrated with this. What can I do? You know, the cool thing is when I'm working on projects around the house or at work, and I don't know what to do, and if I don't have the opportunity or the resources to look it up or get a hold of someone who knows, I will pray. As I'm building something, if I don't know how to do it, I'll pray. And the coolest part about that is Jesus was a carpenter. So what better authority to ask about how to make sure this door is square and plumb than to call the ultimate carpenter and ask him? And sometimes the answer It'll come to me like that, and it's like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. How did I not think of that? And sometimes it comes in the form of him saying, call Mark Nagler, because he is a brilliant carpenter as well. But there's a common theme there of communication with God. Sometimes it means opening the Word of God, because that is God speaking back to us. Sometimes it's putting worship music on in the car on the way to work, and just not saying anything and just listening to those words to build up and encourage us. Like when I spoke about sun stand still prayers, 
We can pray big to God. We can pray big, audacious requests. Sometimes, though, we just need to be diligent. And even when we may not feel like it, we need to go to our Bibles and read about what God is saying to us. I know, I know firsthand that this can be hard because we'll think that God's not always talking to us and, and it can be hard to hear God at times. And I agree, it can be hard to hear him. Here's the best part. God gave us his word. He gave us the Bible. And it's the best way to hear from God. Because even in the chaos and the busyness, during the school and the work and the soccer and the baseball and the projects and the weddings and the craziness throughout life, we can open God's word and hear what he has to say to us. It's that simple, and it really boils down to one thing. Us, you, and me. We need to choose to be diligent, and if we choose to be diligent, if we choose to be determined to learn who God is through reading his word, we can have that relationship. Will you be eager to hear from God? The same goes with prayer. Communicating with God is a two-way street, so reading the word, you can hear from God in that way at times. But speak to God. Put the effort in to have that time with him, have that relationship. I know I've repeated several things throughout this message today, and it's because of their extreme importance. The more time we spend talking with God, the more time we spend listening to him through moments of worship and moments of silence. And reading his word, we will learn who God is, and he will become a huge part of our lives. The relationship that we have with him, it will flourish, and our lives will be made whole. Let that be a part of who you are. Let's practice being diligent in every area of our lives, from working hard and pressing through those hard times when we're at work and being integral when you think no one's looking to communicating with God on a normal basis. Let God know that you love him the way that he loves you. Let him know that you appreciate the sacrifice that he made on the cross at Calvary. Church, would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your word. God, thank you specifically for the book of Proverbs. God, a book that's just so jam-packed with brilliant bits of wisdom, God. Things that we can use in our everyday life. Lord, everything from working, God, to praying, God. Everything from the physical sense of what we need in our daily lives to the spiritual sense of the things that we absolutely have to have to have a successful relationship with you. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that you've taught us how to be diligent, God. Lord, I pray that you would help these words sink into our hearts and our souls. Lord, let us be diligent followers of you. Don't let us become complacent with the relationship that we have with you, God. Let us seek your face on a daily basis. Let us look into your word, God, to see what you want to say to us, Lord. Help us to talk with you like we would a friend. Father God, above all, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made on the cross. We thank you that even though we are unworthy, that even though we were sinners, God, that even though we fall short of your glory, God, that even though we spit in your face day after day, 
and we reject you, and we run from you, God, and we mock you, Lord. We thank you that you love us and that you sent Jesus to die for us, God. Thank you for the sacrifice on the cross that you gave us, Lord. God, I pray that if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in them right now, God. Lord, speak to them. Let them know, God, that no matter how far we run and how far we think we are from you, God, that you will always find us, that you will always come back to us, and you will bring us back to you, Lord, and we thank you for that. We thank you for your unfailing love. Lord, help us to be diligent. Help us to show you that love back, Lord. God, we thank you for everything that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.